take our text from the Gospel record written by Luke the Evangelist, chapter 23. If you will look there with me, our text is but one verse, but I'll begin reading at verse 32 through verse 43. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. A familiar scene, no doubt to most of us, is this portion of the gospel record. And yet it is only the inspired physician who is moved by the Spirit to give us this account. This account of a sinner, the Savior. And of these moments, just before that darkness, that darkness unseen since the beginning of the creation, when it was upon the face of the deep, we're told in Genesis 1-2, that darkness once more covered the world 
while the Father made the soul of His Son an offering for sin. Yet for a few moments, the mocking crowd is no longer heard. The weeping women are unseen. The awful event itself seems almost to recede into nothing. And there seems for a few moments to be only three persons in the world. And then at last, only two. Two alone. For in these moments, this thief, this thief could see only a Jesus. And in these moments, the Son of God, God the Son, speaks. He speaks to none but a dying thief. As sure as glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land, so does glory pervade and permeate all this scene. And these moments on Calvary, when Christ the Lord came down to be the offering and the priest. Yet it is also here, here as perhaps in no other gospel account, that man, man is personified, or if you prefer, exemplified. If the deaf, the dumb, the blind, the lame, even the leper and the dead represent to us some facet of truth concerning man's spiritual condition. Here, uniquely here, is the sinner set forth to us in all the deformity of his depravity, in all the hopelessness of his helplessness. Set forth to you, to me, to all men of all time, is a full and faithful reflection of your condition and mine, of every soul's condition without exception since that dreadful day when we read these words, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. You may not think so. You may not feel so. You may not believe so. Your heart may silently rage against it, but that does not alter the fact that you and I are here. And God has graven our portrait with an iron pen in this text. Whatever opinion you hold concerning yourself, your condition, your character, you may be assured by the sum of the declarations of God's word that your opinion is far too high. Your condition is infinitely worse than you suppose. And your character is so fully saturated by corruption that your profoundest thoughts are unable to comprehend it. The apostle has plumbed its depth farther than any man when he wrote in Romans 8 and verse 7, literally translated, the mind of the flesh, the mind of the flesh 
perpetual insurrection toward God. For not submitted to the law of God, for not able. Here it again, not submitted because not able. Oh, how desperately desperate, if you will pardon the redundancy, how desperately desperate is your case. You will not because you cannot. And the infinitude of the impossibility serves to proclaim the eternal justice of the divine sentence to be imposed on your mutinous, treasonous, guilty soul, the sentence of death. Death. Look again, look again, my friends, at this thief and see whether despite your self-flattery, your Pharisee prayers, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not like other men. Especially that one there. Despite your having like King David covered the trail of your crimes and even suppressed them in your own thoughts, see whether in the words of Nathan the prophet, thou art this man. This man. Look at this malefactor face to face. And tell whether you see your own image and likeness in his features. Who then, or rather, what then was this malefactor? This thief, as he is called by the other gospel writers. Oh, he is no ordinary thief. And his was no commonplace crime. Do you not remember he was cast into prison with others. One whose name we know to be Barabbas. And why? What did he and these others conspired to steal? Paul, the greatest of all earthly treasures, a crown, authority, power, rulership. He sought the crown of David to place it upon Barabbas' head, or perhaps even his own. He would overthrow Caesar's rule, usurp the usurper Herod's power, and set up his own kingdom in the midst of Zion. Thieves they were, yes, in the deepest sense. And so the word is used in the Greek. They were robbers. Robbers of thrones and of the sovereignty vested in them. Not a town, not a city, not even a district, but in an entire nation and people, they would rule and they would use violence to obtain it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all assure us of it. They were in prison for sedition, said Luke, for insurrection, wrote Mark. And Matthew tells us they were marked out men. They were notorious prisoners, he said, because of their rebellion. Notorious prisoners. Try to hide it as you might. The mark of rebellion, of insurrection, is in your forehead just as surely as it was in this thief. 
Will a man rob God? Asked the prophet Malachi. Yet you have robbed me. Saith the Lord. Be you captive to sins. Even our debauched society would call loathsome. Or content with the morality of your own making. Or simply complacent in your utter indifference to Christ. All these are various symptoms of the same disease. Robbery of God. Your wickedness, your self-righteousness, or your indifference. Each and all prove that you would snatch the crown from the Christ. Thrust God from his throne and set up yourself the monarch of heaven earth. Your declaration, however gilded it may be, with shocking impieties or soothing pieties, is one and the same with Lucifer himself. I will exalt my throne. I will be like the Most High. Yes, you and I. We are thieves, robbers, and your mind is exactly as Paul has written. Perpetual and vicious insurrection directed at your maker. Yet were this all, it were guilt enough. But there's more. This man was not merely a thief. Not merely a robber. This man was a murderer. Another of the evangelists tells us that fact plainly. They had made insurrection and committed murder in the doing. Blood they had shed in their vain attempt to have a king. A king of their own making. Blood they had spilled, perhaps Roman blood, for it was, after all, a rebellion they had conspired to provoke. And all the power of Caesar's command would have been engaged to crush it. Fools, madmen they were, but such is the seductive power of power that nothing is too outrageous to be employed in the service of achieving that desired end. Murder they had done in a cause certain of failure, but by it they had sealed their fate and written in blood their own death warrant. And are you no murderer? Your ongoing sedition, your insurrection against the God who made you and at this moment sustains your life implicates you in murder and that of the most hideous kind. You and I and every person since our first parents were driven from the garden. We are all by the fact of our first birth suicides. You are born with a lie in your mouth. And by far the greatest number of them you tell to yourself. You hinder the truth from reaching your soul by the walls of unrighteousness you build. And not content with merely having the sentence of death passed upon you, you rush headlong and ever faster like those possessed gathering swine over the precipice to choke yourself in the sea of destruction 
that you have filled with the salt waters of your own rebellion. Yes, a suicide you are. And a murderer indeed. A self-killer. The inevitable consequence of your insurrection. Because you cannot destroy him that liveth forever. You are fully resolved to raise to the foundation his creation by abandoning yourself to self-destruction. It is a species of insanity that you should wish rather to annihilate yourself than to submit to his gracious rule. Sir, a species of insanity, I say. And is this not enough? Is there more? Oh, yes. Yes, sinner, there is more. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. Oh, but I remind you that another writer tells us that they both cast the same in his teeth. Yet another that they both reviled him. They summoned every ounce of cowardice that they could draw from the wells of seditious hearts and bared their teeth in reproaching him. For so is the root of that word reviled. Oh, but Luke's word, Luke's word is yet far more appalling. He writes, they railed. Rather, they blasphemed him. Suspended in agony. Dying for their own crimes. They take up the taunts of the mob. Mock the just one. And call the prince of life liar. But what of you? What of you? Are you guiltless? Have you not in your own experience bared your teeth and cast the same in his? Did you never blaspheme him? Your insurrection is blasphemy. Your self-murder is blasphemy. And you have superadded to all these your unceasing unbelief of the witness that God has given concerning His Son. And this too is blasphemy. You have not to this hour obeyed His demand to repent and believe. And this too is blasphemy. You have by all these things and a multitude beside sought to steal the crown from the prince's brow. Set up yourself as king and you would make God a liar by rejecting the counsel of God against yourself. Have you never heard that beloved disciple's unsparing testimony against you? Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He, says the writer, 
He is Antichrist. 1 John 2 and verse 22. And who is Antichrist? We are told, but the chief of blasphemers. Revelation 13, 5 and 6. But beyond his insurrection, beyond his murder, and beyond even his blasphemy, there is this. The capstone of a structure quarried from despair and mortared with wretchedness. He was hopeless. He had been dragged from a prison cell only to find himself in the path toward death. He surely had anticipated this hour since being cast into prison, but now, now it was upon him. Now he was dying. Hands and feet fixed and immovable. As helpless as the impotent man beside Bethesda's pool or the paralytic on that rooftop of the house. As helpless as they were, yet there seemed some glimmer of hope for them that one might set him in the stirring waters or a cure might be effected on his withered limbs. But for this man, this thief, there was no such hope. He had been led out to die. Dying he was and die he would. But is your case any better? Yours is just as hopeless and just as helpless. You are dead and you are dying together at once. And neither the greatest of human strength nor the highest of human ingenuity can change or prevent it. The Lord Himself declared it an insurmountable obstacle to you. With men, He said, it is impossible. Mark 10, verse 27. Impossible, said the Creator of men. And a moment's meditation on that impossibility ought to strike terror into the stoutest heart were it not blinded by a prejudice against that God who proclaims that heart deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Look again. Look again and see yourself in this mirror. A seditious, murderous, blaspheming, dying, helpless, hopeless robber of God. Yes, this he was. And this we are. And with men, with men it is impossible to effect any change. But there's another here. There's another here. One who had followed his declaration of the human impossibility with a proclamation of sovereign omnipotence. For with God... All things are possible. There was a saving work to be done this day. A disciple to be made who neither feared nor fled. A lamb to be birthed. A sinner to be both redeemed and regenerated in the same hour. 
And he who hung and pitied rebels when he knew the vast expense his love would cost, made a balm of his wounds and applied it there to the soul of this thief. There he conquers by love while dying. And he seems almost to shout above the horrid din beneath, Now you shall see what my blood can do. How wondrous, how instant is the change that is wrought. How is it all accomplished? As it ever, ever is, as Paul tells us, by the preaching of the cross. The first printed sermon had wrought wonderfully upon this thief's heart. What you ask, what you ask. He had read it, this thief, he had read it over and over and over again as the three stumbled toward Golgotha. From the neck of the Lamb of God, it hung through the streets, through the gate, at the hill, and finally nailed above the Son of Man's head. His eyes beheld it again and again. This is the King of the Jews. This sermon in seven words preached powerfully, even when visible no longer to his mortal eye. It proclaimed a king and a kingdom, a conqueror and a conquest. It cried in his ears, though no sound was heard. It cried in words like those of Anne Steele. Yes, the Redeemer left his throne, his radiant throne on high. Surprising mercy, love unknown to suffer Bleed and die. But there was another message. Another sermon from the king's own lips. And that he heard right well. Father, forgive. Oh, not just a king. Not just a king, but a king full of mercy. Yeah. Not just a kingdom but a dominion where grace reigns. Forgive the prince's petition makes the heart that was before an adamant stone, a new heart of flesh. Forgive, oh here, here is kindness unexpected, holy unforeseen. Mercy for others is a herald, he thinks. Mercy for others is a herald of mercy for me. So the printed word of sovereignty and the spoken word of mercy work silently upon his heart. And as he looks and looks again at this man, a new mind stirred by a new heart first silences his mocking, then opens his lips and all the repentance and faith of a newborn life. Said the sacred poet, I can but perish if I go. I am resolved to try. Yes, sir. And how complete the change. 
He owns himself an insurrectionist, a murderer, a blasphemer, yes, a robber of God, a sinner condemned unclean. And we indeed justly, he said, Lord, I confess thy sentence just. He declares this man holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Nothing amiss in him I find. And with that word, now he is done with everything of earth, of time, of man, and creature. He turns. He pleads. Lord, remember me. He confesses this man. Lord, King, before the world representatively assembled there for the great feast, and against every appearance to that jeering crowd below, he boldly confesses the man upon the cross, Lord Christ, King of glory and of grace. What is this petition? A remembrance by the king in his kingdom. Oh, there was no into, as we have it in our text, there was no into in this poor beggar's mind. He had no thought of this man being anything but a present and full king with a present and full kingdom. Not into but in, in is the word in the original, in your kingdom over which you now and forever reign. He turned Pilate's mockery into a professed reality. This is the king. Yes, he who was and is and is to come. Lord, remember me. Take me. Take me as thine own. Claim me as thy willing subject. Confess me thine before your father. Think on me in mercy. With David he said, remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. Oh, visit me with thy salvation. Marvelous as the confession of this robber was. And it was marvelous. It was infinitely overshadowed by the Savior's gracious reply. His awakened and humble soul, humbled by that which he is now apprehended of the infinite divide between his own wretchedness and the spotless righteousness of this king and of his kingdom, Awakened, as I said, he begs only the smallest of favor, a remembrance in his kingdom. Oh, but God, but God, said Paul, who is rich in mercy. God returns an answer of divine fullness, unexpected and inconceivable. 
with his final verily before his death, he stills this trembling heart, opens wide the kingdom, and brings the prodigal home to himself. Verily, I say unto thee, today, today, oh, there's a world in this today. Today, today there is no delay in the divine workings of salvation. The change is instant and infinite. A moment ago he was under the sentence of eternal death. Now life, eternal life is his by the king's gracious grant. And today begins his everlasting enjoyment of it. Ah, but greater riches by far are his than are seen in our version. For the world words, the words in their original order are today with me. Today with me. The king is what makes this a kingdom worth desiring. And beyond all expectation did this poor beggar receive not only a kingdom, but the king. His petition was, remember me in your kingdom. The answer above all that he asked or thought was, with me today. Today. Today, O oh sinner, this kingdom. And this king are set before you. Does this king, this king with grace in his lips, for such as you, a thief, a murderer, a blasphemer, helpless and hopeless, does this king, does this king have any beauty? That you should desire him? Does this king whose answers to such as you are infinitely full of mercy and salvation. Does he have any beauty to you? If so. If he does today with me. Is his promise. And his gift. If so. Today with Him will answer your plea of repentance and faith for mere remembrance. Today with Christ that in the ages to come He might show forth the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Lord, remember me. A simple plea by a dying thief. A confession. A repentance. A faith. One with that of the hymn writer 18 centuries later. Upon that cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my smitten heart with tears, two wonders I confess. The wonders 
of his glorious love and my own worthlessness. Lord, remember me. And what is this king's answer to a repenting thief? Thieves like you and I. His gracious answer is today, today, with me, with me. Amen. Hallelujah.